Father, thank you. Uh, I am amazed. Um, scripture is something you uh, want us to memorize, and you enable all of us to do it. And I am so impressed with Abby memorizing an entire book. Um, thank you for that example. What a great mind to be able to uh, put all of your word uh, into her mind and be able to recite it to us. And even we're seeing the beginning of some, some drama and how she's presenting that. Uh, this is so incredible and special. And I thank you for her and the gifts you've given her. I pray tonight your spirit would be here. Uh, be our teacher, please. Lead us and guide us into truth. Your word is truth, and we thank you for it. And pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Oh, goodness. Okay, Ruth. So here's what I was thinking about. Well, come on in. So let me ask you this question. Is that I, when I get to the book of Ruth, this is the question that I ask myself. And it's the question I ask you. If, if I ask you this question, do you want God to use you for his plans? Do you want God to use you for his plans? I doubt any of you would say no. I doubt any of you would say no. So, follow-on question, what is the kind of life God uses? What is the kind of life God uses? Remember Abraham? I know that was a long time ago for some of you who are here back in Genesis. Remember Abraham? Where did he come from? Ur. Now, Ur was not a bastion of spirituality, <laughs> or at least from Yahweh's point of view, and yet God in um, Isaiah, he'll say that he plucked him out of the, <laughs> basically out of the, the uh, quarry of the unsaved. He, he chiseled him out of the stone and he called him to himself, as we did with Abraham. How about Joseph? Remember Joseph? He'd say, well, if God would use anybody, it would be that guy. Remember he's... Maybe got a couple things to learn, and he, right, remember he tells his brothers, hey, you're going to bow down to me. <laughs> and they said, yeah, you know, we don't think so. Here's our idea. We're going to sell you off. To, and remember, he goes there, and he gets in trouble, and he's never exonerated from the accusations against him. He goes to jail, and he says, let me out. And God says, yeah, I don't think so, not yet. And finally, he lets him out. A life that God uses. Uh, how about Peter? I'm always thankful for Peter. <laughs> Is that a life that God used powerfully? All different. Uh, Cody talked this morning. Um, where is Temple, Texas? I, I know where it is, but... Right? It's like Nazareth. Can anything good come from Temple, Texas? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And Ted, if it, you know, of course you remember Ted, he came from Leveland. Yeah. Woo, that's a step up, right? What, what are these lives that God uses? The uh, answer is simply this. Those whom God seems to use most 
are those who simply and daily walk in loyal love to him and to others. Those who simply walk in loyal love to him and to others. Each of those people I mentioned, including Ted and Cody, <laughs> every day, they walk in loyal love to the Lord and loyal love to others. Those are the kinds of lives God uses. Ruth, not surprisingly, is a great example of what that looks like. And we're going to talk about that. So, the one word I put on Ruth is the word hesed. Now, if you really want to say it right, if you've been with us before, the H sound, this particular H sound in Hebrew, do not, you've got to aim away from people if you're going to say this, but it's chet, it comes from back here. I can't even do it well because I'm not Hebrew, but it's Sounds kind of like you're choking just a little bit, but not, okay? But it's chesed, chesed. It can be messy. So don't uh, aim at anyone when you're practicing this word, but if you'd like, just say chesed. It means loyal love. It's the covenant loyal love that God has for his people. It's a love whereby God faithfully and relentlessly pursues, preserves, and blesses his people in spite of their behavior. Its closest conceptual counterpart in the New Testament is the word agape, a word you might be a little more familiar with, which is the kind of love that seeks another person's best. So you can kind of think of hesed and agape a little bit. They're kind of running in the same categories. But hesed is the one word that goes on the book of Ruth. And I think after Abby's recitation, and you got to read it, I think you can understand why that word fits very appropriately on the book of Ruth. Chesed. Okay, here we go. Who wrote it? Mm. Uh, Ruth didn't write it. I know, I know. Probably Samuel wrote it, but we don't know. Uh, it probably occurred during the time of Gideon or Jephthah. Remember when we talked about them a few weeks ago? where it was probably written in Bethlehem because there's probably a little bit of a, if you noticed at the end, okay, and so here's where you have to hook up the end of the book of Judges, okay, who are the bad guys in the book of Judges? Do you remember that from a couple weeks ago? The Benjamites. Uh-oh, where is Saul from? Benjamin. Here comes Ruth, who are the good guys, <laughs> right? Tribe of Judah. So here's David's descendants. Look at who David is descended from. He's got these marvelous people in his background. You see this? There's a little bit of this whole kind of political thing going on in this book as well as at the end of Judges. And they're going, see, we shouldn't have picked Saul in the first place. <laughs> he's a Benjamite. Look where he's from. Oh, what we should have done is waited for David. Oh, look at his ancestors. I know, crazy. But anyway, that's in here, a little bit. So where? Bethlehem is big. Some big people have been born in Bethlehem, right? David? <laughs> the greater David? <laughs> Bethlehem is a good place to be born. 
So he's born, uh, or, or it's probably written from Bethlehem. Why? Uh, my professor said this, and I loved it, so I wrote it down. Uh, the Lord is faithful in his business of loving, superintending, and providentially caring for his people. God's people should also be about his business in the ordinary activities of daily living, faithful obedience to him, and gracious acts toward other people. Great summary on uh, the book of Ruth. So those are the basics. Who wrote it when, where, why did they write it? So let's look at this. Uh, here's some other sort of little interesting tidbits about the book of Ruth, or at least I think they're interesting. One of only two Bible books featuring a woman as the heroine, Ruth and Esther. And Ruth is a fantastic heroine. Uh, she is an unexpected and unlikely heroine. Where is she from? Who are her people? The Moabites. Who are the Moabites? <laughs> oh, remember that whole ugly thing back in Genesis <laughs> with Lot. Remember that? Eek. One of his own daughters. Eek. The Moabites. Eek. <laughs> and the Lord says, they don't get to come in the assembly for ten generations, right? Had kind of an anti thing for the Moabites. So she's a very unexpected an unlikely heroine. Point. What is her lineage? Shame and immorality. That's her lineage. And yet, by the end of the book, what is the Lord doing with her? Weaving her into the tapestry of our Lord's lineage because he's not ashamed of her because of her faith. But she's a very, when you're reading this story, she's a very unexpected and unlikely heroine. God uses Ruth's life beyond her expectations. What's the kind of life God uses? God is going to use Ruth's life with her lineage with her place of residence, et cetera, et cetera. God is going to use her beyond her expectations. In Ruth, we have a wonderful picture of our own kinsman, redeemer, the Lord Jesus, uh, in the person of Boaz. You say, hmm, how's that? Well, recall that the kinsman, redeemer, we've been introduced to this concept before, came way back in Genesis. Remember, Jacob or, or uh, Judah didn't handle it so well. Remember Tamar? Remember that whole thing? Speak of eek. Uh, his sons did not do their duty as a Leverite. So a Leverite marriage was I was to marry, um, so um, if I died, uh, my brother in the Old Testament days, my brother would marry Lari. I know. <laughs> Thank you, honey. <laughs> so, uh, he would have married her in order to raise up children to preserve our inheritance, my inheritance. That's, that's what a 
kinsman redeemer did. Now, a kinsman redeemer, that would have been his duty to do that. Right? Remember, Boaz was not the closest kinsman redeemer. He had no dog in this hunt. He was one circle out, right? How did Boaz act toward Ruth? Grace. Undeserved. He didn't have to do it. He was not the nearest kinsman redeemer. Someone else should have done it because of duty. Boaz did it because of grace and love. What? Come on now. Oh, this is a great story. And think about our Lord Jesus because, frankly, I'm a Moabite. The Lord didn't have to love me, but he chose to. Love and grace. He reached across all those barriers and he said, come on, I want you to be with me. Great picture of our Lord Jesus in this book. Uh, one more thing about Ruth. Uh, so you're, you're a Moabite. Uh, you're probably okay in the land of Moab, right? Israelites go down to Moab, probably okay. I mean, it's not okay, but you're not going to draw any attention to yourself because you're in Moab. A Moabite person comes up to Bethlehem. Huh. <laughs> How do you think that response went over? <laughs> right? Remember the, what is it, the invasion of the body snatchers? Ah! <laughs> I mean, they're just pointing at her going, ah! look at that, that's a Moabite. Okay, she was an outcast. An outcast. She was from the wrong side of the tracks. This person would not have been well-received coming into town. They would have said, look, there's Naomi, and who is that with her? What a great way to start a new life. <laughs> uh, unbelievable uh, what, uh, what uh, Ruth did here. So anyway, ah, big picture, book of Ruth. God providentially guides and blesses those who trust him and obey his word. Great lesson for the book of Ruth. God providentially guides and blesses those who trust him and obey his word. That's a, a, a wonderful principle from this book. That's not what I want to talk about, though. What I want to talk about is this, the kind of life God uses, because there are four chapters here that show us very concretely the kind of life God uses. And this is good for that time, and it's good for our time. So let's talk about some of these things. Uh, this is a woman whose life is used beyond her expectations, beyond them. Could she have ever imagined David? Probably not. Could she have ever imagined the Lord Jesus? I I'm saying no. Used her beyond her expectations or even what she could ask for or imagine. Uh, a life redeemed by God. So many people, uh, uh, gosh, all over the world, but particularly in the States, here, here's a trap we can fall into. A life redeemed and used by God doesn't require a special lineage or genealogy, nor does it require special training. 
Look at Ruth. Rather, it seems only to require a heart of loyal love for God and loyal love for his people. Four things. Four big things. Well, there's actually probably more than four. Anyway, there's some things we can learn from this life that's great. So we're going to go through the book, and I want to point some things out along the way. Chapter 1. Uh, Abby did a great job of reciting that. Uh, there's some humor in here. If you were reading the book of Ruth, you would have laughed at this part. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem, okay, Beit Lechem, Bethlehem, Beit, house, Lechem, bread. The house of bread, what's wrong with the house of bread? It has no bread. <laughs> you would have said, that's funny. The house of bread has no bread. So what do they do? They leave. Okay? Maybe not such a good idea, but they leave. So there's a crisis because there's no bread in the house of bread. A family leaves the promised land. Oh, they should have thought twice about that. Remember when Abraham did that? He went to Egypt. Remember the famine in the land? He didn't pray. He didn't ask. He just went. How'd that work out for him? Hagar, not so well. Not so well. You don't want to leave the promised land. And they left. They run into the open arms of the Moabites. Oh. <laughs> These are outcast people. These are people you don't want to associate with kind of people. And yet they run straight into their arms and you say, what, what do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> who did the Jewish people marry? Who did these women marry? Moabites. Moabites. Oh, golly. What are they not supposed to do? Intermarry with other people? I mean, Elimelech, God bless him, God love him, I don't know him. From what you read here, eh, not making the best of choices right now, Elimelech. <laughs> not making the best of choices. Uh, so the two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, not Oprah. <laughs> and the other wo a woman named Ruth. Uh, about ten years later, though, the boys die. So Elimelech is dead, and the two boys are dead. So Naomi, verse 6, hears that the Lord has blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops. So now there's bread in the house of bread again. Yay! You would have been saying, yay, there's bread back in the house of bread. What does Naomi, how does Naomi approach this situation that's in front of her? With her mind. Right? She processes it logically. Look, A, I'm old. B, I'm not married. C, if I got married and I was able to have a, a son or two, are you really going to wait until they're of marrying age and you're not, what? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Stay here. Very logical, very reasonable what Naomi says. And, oh, by the way, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, because I'm bitter. So part of this story is how a bitter woman turns full again as she begins to re-walk with the Lord. How do, Ruth's response in this 
the unlikely, unexpected heroine, who are you expecting to have faith in this story? Naomi, uh, Elimelech, <laughs> some Jewish person, right? Who has the faith? The Moabite woman. What? You would have read this and gone, whoa, whoa, whoa. Read that again. The Moabite woman? And what faith she has. Look at what she's leaving. Ruth replied, right, uh, verse 16. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, now notice in your translation, Lord. Do you see that it's got, you know, it's, it's printed in different letters? That is the covenant name of God. That's Yahweh. Someone, perhaps Naomi, has told her about Yahweh. And who is she believing? Yahweh. May the Lord, she calls down, I mean, she's calling him as a witness to her loyalty. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death. To separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go, well, because she's just put herself under an oath. Uh, Ruth, <laughs> Ruth, uh, I mean, uh, Naomi's done. You've just invoked the Lord into this. We're good. Here we go. Unbelievable what Ruth, this faith that Ruth has. Uh, we, I love this for weddings. We, we know the book of Ruth, but I just want you to pause and think about the faith that this woman had. It is remarkable. She's willing to leave. How many of you would leave everything for a, to go to a place you've never been before, people you've never lived with or know, you're giving up your gods for her one God, and you've said, wherever you die, that's where I'm going to die. I, I'm stuck to you like glue. And don't try to shake me off. In fact, I call the Lord as my witness that I will be loyal till death to you. Amazing, this woman's faith. Amazing. Okay, stop. Some observations. She gave up what was known for the unknown. She gave up the security of her homeland for the insecurity of, li of living someplace new. She gave up the fulfillment of having her own children for the fulfillment of caring for God's children, meaning <laughs> Naomi Mara. She's just pledged to be her mother, basically. Ruth sets aside the life she had imagined for herself for the life God was setting before her. Ruth steps into change with faith. Are you willing to set aside the life you've imagined for yourself for the life God has set before you? Ruth didn't go looking for this. This life came to her. And she could have said, you're right, I'm going to stay with Orpah <laughs> and stay here. But she didn't. She says, I'm in. All in. 
This is a great question for us. Are you willing to set aside the life you've imagined for yourself for the life God has set before you? So Ruth, chapter 1, steps into change with faith in God. What's the kind of life God uses? This. Second, look at chapter 2. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, you know, people say, God's name is not mentioned in the book of Ruth. Well, kind of. There's this loyalty oath. His name shows up. But I'll grant you that God, it, it, right? He, but he's in these pages all over the place. You know what? Can I tell you this? It's hard to see that when it's you instead of Ruth. It's not always easy to see where God is showing up. But he's there. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who's kind enough to let me do it. She's going to go glean. This is what the poor people did. So remember to the charge to Israel, when you're collecting your grain, remember to just leave a little bit behind. Don't scrape the ground, because the poor people, if they're industrious, they're going to come along behind, and they're going to pick up the little, little bit that's left over to try to keep them alive. So Israel, just... Don't scrape the ground and get every little grain and kernel and all that stuff. And so this is what Ruth is going to do. How else are they going to live? So she goes out in the field. Uh, Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. I love this. And as it happened... She found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz. <laughs> I love that little phrase. And as it happened, <laughs> who's back there? <laughs> Ruth, go over that way. Okay. She goes over there. Hey, I worked in this guy's field. <laughs> you worked in Boaz's field? How did you figure that out? Well, figure what out? <laughs> I just went there. God is working behind the scenes. He providentially guides and provides for Ruth and Naomi. Then he's kind to Ruth through Boaz, right? She uh, works hard. He sees. He takes note of it. He begins to say, let her glean among the sheaves. Why would he say that? One, she gets more grain. But two, she doesn't know the rules, right? She doesn't know she's supposed to follow along behind and just pick up the stuff off the ground. She's just working hard and industrious, and Boaz goes, let her go. Let her do it. And he makes sure that there's other women around her to protect her, protect them from the guys. He gives her grain. He says, come over here and have lunch with me. What? Okay, so she goes back and she tells uh, Naomi. Naomi encourages her to continue to work in Boaz's fields. So chapter 2, she is working diligently where God has placed her. She's faithful and loyal to Naomi. She's, she undoubtedly needed to eat also. But why is she doing this? Because of her loyal love to Naomi. That's why she's working so hard. Faithful and loyal to Naomi. She's also loyal to Boaz. 
She doesn't cheat him. She takes no shortcuts, and she doesn't complain. I'd love to put that on a billboard these days. Oh, stop it. That was for free. It doesn't count for anything. You know, uh, I don't know if you watch these statistics, but um, in 2010, uh, 55% of Americans, working Americans, 55, were unhappy in their job. Do you know what that figure is today? 2019? 70%. If you work with 10 people, seven of them are not happy that they are there. Just, I mean, just try to process this. Be like Ruth. <laughs> just be like Ruth. Goodness, don't cheat, don't take shortcuts, don't complain, work hard. Ugh. All right. She's loyal to her task every day. I've got to imagine, you, some of you have been to Israel. Uh, Israel and Fort Worth are roughly the same latitude. And so, for those of you who remember weather stuff, similar latitudes means similar weathers. Okay, so if it's 100 degrees in Fort Worth, how hot is it in Israel? Just about 100 degrees. Hmm, how hot's it been this past week? Pretty warm. Who's out working every day, sun up to sundown, and then what she collects, she's got to go, remember, we talk, she goes and winnows it. She's got to separate the, the good stuff from the chaff. So collecting it, you do until the sun goes down because you can't see to pick up any more stuff. And then what do you do? You go take care of the other stuff. And then what do you do? You go feed Naomi. And then what do you do? You go to bed for a little while. You get up because you got to get out when the light goes, uh, when the sun comes up and start all over again. Ruth is amazing. Her faith is amazing. Her work ethic is monstrous. She just does this. Why? Loyal love to Naomi. She's loyal to her task every day. She's industrious, diligent, and productive. She's also content. She's working hard every day as she picks up the gleanings, the leftovers. The leftovers. She's not getting the, <laughs> she's not getting the good stuff. She's getting the leftovers and working this hard and content to get it. Amazing, this woman, Ruth. The kind of life God uses, she works diligently where God places her. Are you content giving your best every day for what God is providing for you through your employer, your circumstances, your situation, or whatever? Are you content? Are you content? Are you grateful? daily for how God has provided you, for you in your life up till now? Are you content? Are you grateful? When did you last tell God that? When did you last tell him? Thanks, Daddy, I'm content. Thanks, Daddy, I'm grateful. You know, traveling overseas will help you with that. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. Some of you are wondering, like, I only came to hear what the trip was about. Yep, I gotcha. Uh, 
we're going to talk about next week, so come again. But going overseas will help remind you, we have problems in this country, no doubt about it. But my friends, there is no place like home. Are you content? Are you grateful daily for how God has provided for you in your life up till now? The kind of life God uses, Ruth steps into change with faith in God. She works diligently where God places her. And she's patiently expectant for more. Chapter 3. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter. Now, is Naomi maybe feeling a little bit better here? Seems like it because we're not really talking about the bitterness. What's she kind of moved into now? Is it in Fiddler on the Roof? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. She's feeling a little bit better. It's probably about a year. It's barley harvest to barley harvest. So we're probably about a year. Naomi's beginning to feel a little better. And she starts thinking, hmm, I'm an attractive younger woman here. I'm beginning to think I should help her with her life. I guess, I don't know. My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Okay. <laughs> In this book, another thread that runs through it. Okay, ready? Looking around, okay. So I'll try to um, make sure we're PG. Uh, there is a fertility motif that's running through this book. And it has to do with the grain. Uh, Naomi leaves, right? There's no grain to make bread, so there's barrenness. Grain starts piling up. <laughs> and at the end, we've got, we are at the threshing floor. Ah, big, gigantic piles of grain. What Ruth does here is completely pure. She does nothing wrong or untoward in any way. This was the culture of the day. And you think, whoa, with that kind of preface, what in the world does she do? Well, uh, so she notices where Boaz lies down. Uh, Naomi says, go uncover his feet. Uh, in Hebrew, it's actually the place of his feet. And I need you to think of an infant in the womb and where are his, or, well, in this case, his, where are his feet, where are his heels in the womb tucked? Hmm? Tracking with me here? No, not yet. You're like, what? Okay, so when she says, Naomi says, uncover the places of his feet, she's not talking about feet. That's why Boaz wakes up. Whoa! <laughs> Little chilly. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> she uncovers the place of his feet, and then she lies down there. 
Now, she did nothing, she did not, she is absolutely pure in doing this. This was the custom of the day. But she, where is she lying down? At the place of fertility. And you're on the threshing floor with these huge piles of grain. <laughs> so you're beginning to think, whoa, okay. <laughs> this is something's going to happen here. Okay, so she sees where, everybody getting this, right? We're good so far. All right. You can, think, you can say I'm crazy, but I'm not. You go look it up. The Hebrew word is margolotes. Go ahead, look it up. I dare you. You'll find out. And you're like, what? How come nobody's ever told me that? That's why you come. I tell you the secrets. How are you going to preach this? You know, how are you going to preach this? You're going to have to do it in a class because everyone's going to ah, scream and run out. It says place. It says his economy covers his feet. Yeah. What are they supposed to do? Okay, that's why you learn Hebrew. <laughs> okay, so he finished eating and drinking. He lies down. Ruth quietly uncovers the place of his feet. He probably didn't take long. He wakes up. Ah, there's Ruth. What does he say to her? Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. <laughs> He was surprised to find a woman lying at the place of his feet. Who are you? <laughs> Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Again, Ruth is completely pure and innocent. He even says so. Again, she has done nothing untoward or wrong. It's just the culture of the day. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. What? Evidently, she was younger than he was. How does he refer to her as my daughter? And you think, hmm, what's going on here? It's the reverse of the Leverite marriage. She is saying to him, I'm not going outside the family. I need my kinsman redeemer, my Leverite, because I need to keep the inheritance in Naomi's family. I mean, what Ruth does here, evidently she could have gone, right? She could have had some younger man outside the family. But she's not doing that. She, her loyal love to God and her loyal love to Naomi, she says, you're my kinsman redeemer. I want to preserve the inheritance for Naomi and for her family, and so I need you to marry me. Amazing, this woman. She, she really is remarkable. I encourage you to redo this book a lot. It's, she's really an amazing woman. Ruth follows Naomi's counsel. Ruth presents her request to Boaz. And then Ruth waits on Boaz to act. Remember, she goes back and tells Naomi, here's what happened. And what has Naomi said? The man will not rest until he takes care of this issue. Right? But what is, what is she telling Ruth? Ruth, you've, you've done what is reasonable for you to do. Now stop. Parade rest. Just wait. The man will take care of this. He will act. You wait. 
don't do any more. Gosh, how hard would that be? But Ruth is so, uh, she just trusts Naomi um, with everything. Uh, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. The kind of life God uses. Ruth made a request which was in line with God's word. She could have had another man. She didn't want that. She wanted, remember, the, she's the reverse of the Leverite marriage. She wants what God has promised through the Leverite marriage. Now, how did she know that? I don't know. But she clearly understands why she wants Boaz to marry her. And it has to do with her loyal love to God and to Naomi. To keep it all in the family. She voluntarily surrendered an independent life for a future wrapped up entirely in Boaz's life. And though expectant, she was willing to wait on Boaz's timing to fulfill his promise to her. You got, gosh, I love this story. Rewind. What promises, what promises did Abraham get from God before he left Ur? Land, seed, and blessing. Remember that? He got three promises from God. What did Ruth get? Nothing. Naomi, I'll die with you. She gets no promise from God, and yet she goes. What does she have here? A promise from Boaz. She says, got it. I'll wait for it. I'm going to wait for him to fulfill that promise to me. She's expectant, but she can't make it happen any faster. She has to wait on Boaz to execute the deal. So Ruth formally and fully surrenders her life into Boaz's hands, expectantly awaiting his follow-through. What's the kind of life God uses? Ruth is patiently expectant for more. Are you ready to move from picking up gleanings in the field, in quotes, the leftovers, the little stuff, to receiving God's inheritance in your spiritual walk, as we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and months and months. Are you ready to move past the gleanings for more? Have you taken the risk to ask God for your portion of his inheritance to you? Have you formally surrendered your life into his hands, expectantly waiting on him? What has he promised you? Remember, we've talked about some things. Remember Ephesians 1.3? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Can you think of a spiritual blessing that might be included in that? <laughs> Every. How about Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's your inheritance. He said that's part of his spirit in you. Have you asked 
him for that. Is this making sense to you? Or are you just satisfied with the gleanings? I'm going to just keep picking up the little junk that's in front of me. Because I, 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 oh my gosh, me asking God for what he said he would give me. That's too big a risk. Why? Do, do you think he made it up? Do you think he's lying to you? Does he not want to give it to you? I love Cody's Alexander the Great story. <laughs> what a great story. I love that he asked big. Because he knew I was rich and he knew I was generous. <laughs> Is that true of our God? Again, not health and wealth stuff. I'm talking about the things he has promised us, spiritual blessings. Do you ask him for that? They're yours. He said they're yours. Do you want them? Or will you be satisfied with what you keep picking up in the dust and dirt behind everybody else? It's your choice. I hope you'll choose to take the risk and ask God. I don't know what he'll give you, and I don't know when he'll give you, and I don't know how he'll do it. It's not a, it's not a magic formula here. But ask your daddy for what he said he would love to give you. Have you formally surrendered your life into his hands? expectantly waiting on him. You know what it means to wait expectantly? You see this? Okay. Here's, here I'm waiting, right? I'm flat-footed. You ever been so excited you did this? You stood up on your toes? <laughs> Remember when you were a kid? You know, whatever, a birthday, Christmas, something. You're like, oh, what's on? What's going on over there? And you're up on your tiptoes. This is waiting expectantly. <laughs> Are you, is this, describe, Daddy, I would really love some of that love. Are you expectant? Or you go, you know, just in case you don't want to give it to me and you kind of begin to prepare yourself, he's probably not going to give it to me. You, you ever play that dance? I do that all the time. Stop it. Be expectant. Wait on him. The kind of life God uses Ruth steps into change with faith in God. She works diligently where God places her. She's patiently expectant for more. And then chapter 4, what a great chapter. She's a blessing to others. Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer. And you're like, okay, why does he take his shoe off? Great question. So what... What everyone thinks it means, well, not everyone, but most everyone who knows anything thinks it means, is I am now giving you the right to walk in the land. Well, it makes sense, right? I'm buying land, and I've now t I take my shoe off, and I give you the right. So it's, it's mine, right, because I'm closer than you, so I'm now giving you the right to walk in my land because you've just bought it, so now it's your land. So that's the shoe. Remember, I'm the guy who tells you the secrets. I didn't say they were all great, but that's one of them. Boaz marries Ruth. What a wonderful thing that was. And then Bethlehem. And the women bless Boaz, Ruth, and Obed for blessing them. They've been blessed. And so they bless them right back. The kind of life God uses 
concludes with be a blessing to others. Let me remind you of what my prof said. The Lord is faithful in his business of loving, superintending, and providentially caring for his people. Excuse me. God's people should also be about his business in the ordinary activities of daily living, faithful obedience to him, and gracious acts toward other people. The kind of life God uses. Step into change with faith in God. You know, this last year, you may have seen a lot of changes in your life. And they may not have been expected or even welcome. Does that sound like Ruth? Nod your head this way. Yes. <laughs> Step into change. Step into change with faith in God. Are you willing to set aside the life you've imagined for yourself? for the life God is setting before you. God is on every page and between every word and sentence, not only of this book, but of this whole book. If you believe that, and when he does it to your life, you have to believe it in your life as well, though it's hard, way harder. Are you willing to set aside the life you've imagined for yourself for the life God is setting before you, and, I'm going to have an and, and believe that it's better than anything you could have asked for or imagined. Because he's a good, good God. Step into change with faith in God. Work diligently where God places you. Are you content giving your best daily for what God is providing for you through your employer, through whatever. Are you, are you content? Would people who know you in the circles you run in, would they look at you and say, there is a content person? Work diligently where God places you. Patiently expect more from God. Are you patiently expectant for Jesus to fulfill one or more of his promises in your life through his spirit? As you've been blessed, be a blessing to others. What do I mean by that? To be a blessing daily means this. Begin each day with a decision. It's before you get out of bed. I don't know if you use alarm clocks or your watch goes off or whatever, but when you hit consciousness, <laughs> because I've been blessed, Ephesians 1.3, I want to bless others. Make a decision that today you will seek opportunities to bless others. Then make a plan. You're like, Bill, this is going to take a half an hour. I've got to get out of bed and get in the shower. Set your alarm clock a half an hour early then. <laughs> think about being a blessing to others as you think through your day's agenda. For those of you who still have a somewhat regular calendar, I guarantee 
you know what you're doing tomorrow already. Right? You know who you're meeting with, why you're meeting, etc., etc. You already know what you're doing Monday because you're looking ahead. Are you looking ahead in the way of being a blessing to others as you think through your day's agenda? Then look for ways to spontaneously bless others. What might that mean? Maybe you notice somebody just needs some encouragement. Maybe at the risk of your own, you know, whatever, you're going to appreciate somebody in front of the boss. Although you don't like them and they don't maybe <laughs> deserve it as much as you do, of course, but maybe you appreciate them. Look for ways to spontaneously bless others. Um, I know I've told you this before. Uh, this is certainly a good one. If you go out to eat tomorrow, more than likely, unless you go, you know, like through Whataburger, but you can still do it at Whataburger. Um, anywhere that there's a help staff, you know, waiter, waitress, somebody like that, uh, especially if you're at a sit-down place, works just a little quieter. Uh, when they come up and take your order, ask if you can pray for them, that you're about to pray for this meal, and there's something they wouldn't mind you praying for, would they mind sharing that? I'm telling you, they're going to go, what? What did you just say? I, I don't care what a person's spiritual temperature or background is. Everyone wants to be prayed for, right? We may not know or care or love your God, but if you're going to pray for me, I'm in, because maybe you have the right answer. Maybe you'll get, you know, I'll get what I want. But just ask if you can pray for somebody. Everyone wants to be prayed for. Just some ideas. Make a plan. And then carry out your plan. Be a blessing. Guess what's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to be driving home, and on your way home, you're going to go, oh, gosh, I forgot to do this. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to start beating yourself and saying, oh, I have to do better tomorrow. Don't do that. It'll come. Just try to begin to weave this into your life, okay? This is not a performance deal. There's no grading system or, you know, report card. Just try to be a blessing to others. I think you, in turn, will be blessed. For next week, we're certainly going to talk about the trip for a little while. Uh, and also, we're going to cover 1 Samuel 1 through 7. We're going to keep moving forward. We're doing a good job. Only have a little bit of the Old Testament left, like this much, which is like the most of it. <laughs> hang in there. We're rounding the corner now. We're in 1 Samuel. <laughs> Just think, you're almost like 20% of the way through the Old Testament. Way to go. It's a mile marker. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you. Uh, I can't wait to meet Ruth. What an amazing woman uh, she was, and of course, it's easy to understand why you would include uh, her story in your word. This faith is so remarkable and so inspirational. Uh, I'm really grateful that you included it uh, to call me to a higher level of faith in you, like Ruth, uh, like Ruth had. 
Uh, Thank you for this story. Thank you for its truth. Uh, Help me to walk in that kind of faith. And the only way I can do that uh, is if your spirit will energize me, empower me, and help me just put one foot in front of the other. Uh, We love you. We thank you for your word and for your teaching and for your spirit. May he uh, do a great work in us this week. We ask for it, please, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.